Engaging Leader, Episode 36, How to Improve Face-to-Face Impact, featuring Stacey Hunky. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. Are you consistently able to influence people to take action? Do people trust what you say and follow your recommendations? When you speak, do people pay attention or do they start to check their iPhones? If you don't have the impact you'd like, you probably need to improve your face-to-face communication skills, whether you're speaking to one person or a room full of people. To help us be more effective in all types of face-to-face communication situations, our guest is Stacy Hunky. She is the author of the book, Yes, You Can, Everything You Need from A to Z to Influence Others to Take Action. Stacy is a communication expert who helps individuals improve their delivery to persuade, sell, influence, and effectively communicate with a clear message. Stacy, welcome to the Engaging Leader. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Glad to have you. What is your personal story, Stacy? Why did you write a book that focuses on face-to-face communication? My personal story has always been around communication, and the thing that made me really decide to write the book, I am shocked. I'm surprised with how many individuals, and particularly executives is my clientele, how many individuals, when they move up through the ranks and they get into these executive high potential positions, how many individuals are not aware of truly how they come across? through their eyes of their listener. They're not truly aware of how they're being perceived. An example will be a lot of times when individuals feel they know the topic, they know their topic, they're confident, they're comfortable, they make the assumption that because they feel good, they must come across as good. And through the years of just working with these individuals, what was always the shock is when I would videotape someone so that they could see through the eyes and ears of their listener how surprised they were of how the playback looked when they would review their playback versus how they felt when they communicated. It made me realize, okay, there's an opportunity here of people don't really know that there's so much more than just the message to have influence. It's not only the message, but making sure there's consistency behind how you deliver that message. I'm referring to body language and also how that message is heard. And as a result of all of that feedback that I've gotten over the years of how people are just shocked, they don't realize truly not only how they don't come across or how they do come across, they're also not aware of the many levels, how much focus it takes to be influential consistently Monday to Monday. You're right about the importance of consistency there and how what a gift that is for that videotaping experience to bring that home. I was just reminded of this recently. My son was in a, a school play production of Robin Hood, and he was the sheriff of Nottingham. And in this production, the sheriff was the main bad guy and was very regal. And he had his lines down great, 
but he kept rushing through his lines. And I kept trying, saying over and over again to him when I had a moment, you need to slow down, Danny, slow down. The audience can't hear you and you're not coming across like this regal character. And he didn't believe me because as you said, he felt fine. He sounded, it sounded fine to him. So I finally videotaped him and then I actually left the video for him. I didn't wasn't even there when he saw it. But when I returned home later, I didn't even have to argue with him anymore. He immediately came to me and said, I had no idea that's how I came across. It was totally inconsistent with his character. That is so interesting because that, that feeling is such a misperception. And I hear people say it all the time. When I know my topic or I feel confident with the situation, then I'm good. And I always tell individuals, you want to be very careful with that concept because it doesn't guarantee how you feel is how someone sees you. It, you made a comment that you didn't need to argue with your son anymore. I always tease my participants saying to them, if I wouldn't videotape you, you and I, we would argue all day long. <laughs> because how you feel is going to be so different than what I ask you to try on for size. And sometimes it is, it's the fine-tuning, but it's the fine-tuning of being conscious of Why do you behave the way you behave? Why do you say what you say? And are those two consistent? Because anytime we don't pay attention to, I'm going to give you something that seems very basic, yet is such a make or break when it comes to the type of impact you have on someone, is how you move when you're standing up in front of a group. Or say you're at a meeting or you're one-on-one with someone face-to-face, what your hands communicate. As much as gestures get a bad rap on the street, gestures will either distract your message or they'll enhance because it's the gesture that's actually creating the visual around your words that determine what people remember and how long the, the listener, your listener remembers the message. And sometimes it's just understanding, well, am I fidgeting, playing with my fingers, playing with my rings? I've had, I have women that are constantly natural groomers, and they're playing with their hair or their clothing. It, is that really purposeful? And when I start showing people the true how-tos, and a little bit this is in the book, the how-tos of how do you gesture so that there's purpose behind that movement and you're not distracting, people are shocked that I actually have to think about that. I have to think about that when I'm communicating Now, I tell them they've got two choices. You can continue to distract and believe what you want to believe, or if you're really (laughs) serious about being consistent Monday to Monday as far as being influential, yes, then you need to start thinking about every movement, every body language that you make, because if there's not purpose behind your hands, if there's not purpose behind what you do with your eyes when you're in a conversation, there's a good chance you're creating a distraction. Now, that sounds like you have to fake everything, like you're almost forcing things to happen in a way that's not really yourself. Well, this is where it gets hard. This is where the work begins. And I'm going to compare it to any athlete. That's a great analogy to use. Think of a golfer, a tennis player, a professional skier. Any time that they have a coach that comes in and says, which is probably daily for them, Oh, we need to adjust your, your serve on your tennis racket. We need to adjust your golf swing. It's going to throw them off, and they're going to slip into the time where they're not natural because someone just messed their coach. Someone just messed with the way they're used to doing it, correct? Right. 
And the key with enhancing, it's not about changing your personality style when we're talking about enhancing your communication skills. When you start to watch yourself on a playback, whether it's audio or video, or you hire someone like myself as a coach that starts to really start adjusting how you stand, what your gestures communicate, what your eyes communicate, and how you use those skills, there's going to be that moment where you're going to lose a little bit of your natural style. The key, though, is you keep practicing these new skill sets and techniques, suddenly they escalate. They will elevate your game. They're going to elevate your personality style even more. Most importantly, you're going to have more influence and impact. But the, to the challenges, and this is what sets apart an influential communicator and a good communicator. A good communicator is not consistent enough, meaning they're not constantly consistent with being influential, and they, they're not willing to do the work that it takes. An influential communicator has held their self accountable. They have disciplined themselves to do the work it takes to polish their skill sets without becoming someone that they're not. Interesting. And it's just like an athlete. You know, however that athlete trains and practices prior to the big competition, the game, that's how they're going to play. But an athlete just doesn't go out there and suddenly play because it would be mechanical, it wouldn't be their style, they probably would not win the competition or do well. And that's where individuals don't realize if we're talking about being influential, talking about having impact through our messaging, our body language, that's something you just can't turn on when the stakes get high. This is about practicing every day and thinking about how we gesture, thinking about getting rid of the ahs, the ums, the non-words and filler words. You need to do it every day, though, because if you just save it for the big gig, like a presentation or a high-stakes meeting or sales call, then you're going to come across mechanical I don't think you come across as authentic, and it's tough for our listeners to be able to connect with someone like that, and if they can't connect with us, it's going to be extremely difficult for us to have influence on them. Let's say you point out several things that a person could do better to be a more influential communicator. Do you tend to find it more effective for that person to practice on one improvement at a time or on several things at a time? One improvement on the time. When individuals attend our sessions, we throw at them a lot of skills and techniques. What we don't do is we never have them practice every skill and technique together because it's going to get messy. They will not be able to (laughs) have a conversation when they're trying to deal with the skill sets. Instead, I recommend... For example, during a conversation today, if for that five minutes or that 10 minutes of that conversation, if you could really start paying attention to, are you pausing instead of using ahs and ums? Are you pausing at the end of your sentences or your thoughts, your key points? Or when are you rambling? And when you're rambling, you're aware of it, that you can stop it on the fly and get back on track without skipping a beat and letting your listener know you're struggling with finding what is the next point. That makes sense. When you're talking to someone today, maybe you're standing up in the office hallway and you're talking to them, are you, are you fidgeting? Are you fidgeting with your fingers, your rings, your pen that you might have in your hand? Are you leaning? Are you leaning to one side that diminishes your height 
which diminishes your credibility. Taking those skill sets and practicing them, focusing on them throughout the day, but focusing on them one at a time, you'll increase your learning curve to making those skill sets your new habit. Your book provides an A to Z guide on effective face-to-face communicating. I found it to be a quick, fun read that covers all the basics, but also has several secrets that, frankly, I was not previously aware of. And I'd like to, to focus the next few minutes on some of the ones that struck me as the most important and most surprising tips. And the first you just mentioned, which was pausing, my first instinct was to react negatively to the way you you said that pausing was so important. But then you caught my attention when you demonstrated the power of pause using the Gettysburg Address. Can you tell us about that? Well, thank you first for reading the book, and I'm glad you found those gems within that book. Pausing being a big one. I'm going to share with you first what people believe to be true. People believe that if I pause, people will think, my listeners will think I don't know what I'm saying. And I will lose my flow and forget what to say. Now, what's really going on is if you do not pause, you do not have time to think on your feet. As a result, we use run-on sentences and we ramble. I think our listeners can all relate to getting off track, saying too much, walking away from a conversation wishing we wouldn't have said something or we would have said something. The idea of pausing is not only for you as the speaker to be able to think on your feet, to be able to change your message on the fly to meet your listener's expectations without them realizing it's happening. Your listener, they need time to catch up. They need time to hear and understand. We use the example of the Gettysburg Address as just one example in the book of imagine if the Gettysburg Address was communicated with ahs and ums. The whole impact of that message would not have had the impact that it has had in our history. No, that's right. I want to give you another example. Have you ever been to, I'm guessing you have, have you ever been to a good comedy club where the comedian is really good? Actually, just a couple of weeks ago I was. Okay, so you're going to be able to relate to this. Mm Mm-hmm. You know that when the comedian, when they hit the punchline, what do they do? The timing is just perfect. And the timing is perfect because they stop talking. Mm -hmm. And they give us a pause as their audience members for us to laugh. Now, you can imagine how different that experience would be for you if you never had a chance to laugh during a comedian's act. That's right. Now, imagine the different experience that you're creating for your listeners when you pause versus when you don't. And a great tip I use for participants that really struggle with this concept, I don't want to pause, it sounds, it feels like eternity. Again, that's a concept of don't go off of how you feel. Just because you feel like it's eternity doesn't mean the listener does. Because when you pause, you're putting your listener to work. You're giving your listener a chance to hear, understand, and to create their own experience around what are you communicating with them which is such a critical component to be able to influence someone to take action. Think and speak in bullet point sentences. Speak like you read a book. Have you imagined that you don't read with ahs and ums? 
you know, like, so, actually. But we pause at punctuation. And when you start pausing, you'll, you'll probably also recognize filler phrases that we use. Some of those are, I am here today to talk to you about. Like we state the obvious. Mm-hmm. Good question. I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> what I meant to say was, hopefully you'll find this beneficial. We have so much filler in our life that if we could use that time to pause, think on our feet, so that we come back to that conversation with information that is pertinent, that is relevant to what is important to our listeners, that's where you take the ability to have impact and influence to a whole new level because you're putting so much more thought into why should your listener listen to your message versus what you believe to be true and what you believe they should know versus what they need to know. It seems to me that another resistance that I might have to the notion that I should pause more, I'm picturing myself in a one-on-one conversation or perhaps around a boardroom table in a meeting, and I pause and someone else jumps in to the conversation and I don't get to finish my sentence or I don't get to go on to the next sentence. I hear that. Often. I hear it a lot. I'm going to give you two responses. First and foremost, let's get clarification on how long you pause. You're not pausing for 5, 10 seconds. Pause long enough to think about what you want to say and to breathe. As elementary as that sounds, when we do not pause, you'll hear people literally gasp for air because they don't have time (laughs) to physically breathe. I'm talking breathing from the diaphragm. That's answer number one. Answer two, I observe a lot of individuals facilitating or even participating in meetings. One of the most most challenging, one of the biggest risks that we run as communicators is we frustrate our listeners. And if we frustrate our listeners, they start interrupting us. How we frustrate our listeners, we say too much and we don't get to the point quick enough which is one of the reasons why pause is so critical. Here, I'm going to give a quick demonstration of what it sounds like when I don't pause. Okay. So I'm talking about pausing and how important pausing is. And what happens if you're not pausing, you're not giving your listener a chance to um, hear and think about what you want to say. And um, um, if you're not allowing that, then the listener um, cannot have a time to um, really understand and catch up with what you're saying. So that's why we recommend that you should really pause to make sure that um, you speak in short and bullet point sentences, which will... um, make it easier for you to think on your feet and um, for your listener to um, um, hear what you're saying. Now, I exaggerated it to make, make the point here versus over a recording. What happens when you start pausing, and I know this from experience because I am practicing what I'm preaching. My sentences are short. I add pauses. Some are longer. Some are shorter on purpose. I do not get interrupted. And I think what's happening is the pause, it grabs listeners' attention. Because not only are they thinking about what you just said, it's as if you pull them to the front of their chair. They're trying to grasp what's next, what's happening next. Now, I'm going to put a a little curveball in there. If you truly are speaking in short sentences and you're using pauses and you still get interrupted because there's someone in that meeting 
or the individual that you're having the face-to-face conversation that that's just a bad habit of theirs, they interrupt everyone, consider it two-way conversation. And consider it every time they interrupt. Don't interrupt back. Pause. Let them finish. That's giving you a chance to constantly be analyzing that listener on the fly to be adapting the message to what they need to hear. That makes sense. I think until everyone goes out there and they are truly trying this idea of pausing, they'll start to realize how they get more information communicated in less time. So they're saving time. Who doesn't want time saved? Mm -hmm. And they start to reduce that constant interruption that they may be experiencing. When you gave that little demonstration, I was floored by the thought that, number one, that is what I listen to most of the time in meetings and on phone conversations with people, that it sounded so normal, if you will. Mm-hmm. And yet, how much better the rest of our conversation was when I heard you speaking in short sentences and with pauses. If you're right, it's so much more effective to speak less, and we'd get a lot more done, I think, that way. Mm-hmm. You're bringing up a good point around another piece of being influential that we forget is knowing when to listen, to speak less and listen more. And if you've ever observed any leader in a conversation, particularly in a group or a meeting conversation, they're not talking all the time. And any time that they're ready to contribute to the conversation, they are consistently bringing powerful information to the conversation. And everyone sometimes wonders, wow, how do they do that? Well, they're doing something that most of us don't do. They're actually listening to the conversation. They're listening to the why behind the words that they can bring back to the conversation what everyone can value from. Without pausing, that is nearly impossible to do because we get caught up in our own self. Pausing is going to allow you to be in the moment, to suddenly be aware of what's going on, not only inside your head and what you want to accomplish, it allows you to be more aware of what's happening around you and what's happening in between you and your listener. That's going to give you that extra foot in front of someone that doesn't have that ability to be influential. You mentioned something that seemed rather small, and I want to just make sure that our listeners notice that when you talked about listening there, you mentioned listening for the why. And that's not only helpful in making a conversation more productive, even in our everyday, personal, friendly conversations, listening for the why and asking about the why just makes for richer connections in general. It does, and it's, I, do, I use a why model where the why is on the top, underneath why is what, then comes how, then comes the listener's point of view. And when I show that model, I explain how we spend most of our time in a conversation with the what and the how. The what's our content. It's what we want to accomplish. The how is where we do the facts, the data. Sometimes we get really fancy and we throw the heavy data on a slide. Not that we cannot focus on the what and how. I think we should, yet where we should always start and always go back to throughout a conversation is, why should my listener be interested in my topic? Why would they want to listen to me? Why is this conversation happening now? And when you're constantly thinking about that concept, 
you start listening for the why behind your listener's words. You start listening to, why would they say that? Why do they keep bringing up this certain point or concept or idea? Then you start taking their important words and peppering it into your language. Your listener starts to realize, wow, you, you really are caring about what I want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to get buy-in. It's hard to have influence on someone when the message is all about you and the direction you want to take. But can you take your A to Z plan that you came to the conversation with and constantly be flexible to weave the whole experience together for not only the listener's expectations, but ultimately the call to action you want them to take? Effective eye connection is another powerful principle from your book that I think will surprise many people. The importance you put on it was surprising to me. And you mentioned that most people have actually been given bad advice about what to do with their eyes. What are some examples of that bad advice? The majority of us are taught eye contact. Imagine that we're, we're sitting around a table right now. Maybe it's a boardroom table. And what most people do is they contact with their eyes. Most individuals do not look at someone long enough to connect. Therefore, I refer to it in the book as eye connection. Here's another example of eye contact. We love being on our iPhones or whatever phone our our listeners have. And how many times do you see an interaction at the office where I'm on my iPhone, you're trying to have a conversation with me, I'm talking to you while I'm texting, I'm tweeting, or how many times have you seen in a meeting If there are meeting notes or agendas or handouts, the facilitator talks frequently as they're looking down at the table or at the handout. We see presenters all the time talk to PowerPoint slides or flip charts or boards. So much of our day is disconnected because we're contacting people with our eyes. Eye contact, think of it as scanning. You're more scanning the audience than staying connected. Here's the difference, the how-tos. Eye connection, when I am speaking to two or more individuals, I will stay with an individual for a full sentence or thought. As I transition my eyes from one person to the next, I pause, I wait till I see the next person, and then I start my next sentence. So think of it as only speak when you see eyes. If you do not see eyes, there is no reason to talk to objects. Hmm. And as common sense as it sounds, this is the skill that most people struggle with in addition to pausing because they come to me saying, I have good eye contact. I just had an executive last week say, I have a good eye contact. And I said to him, you do have good eye contact. You're, you're contacting everything in front of you. That You do. Now, though, now it's time to connect because eye connection, it's the only skill that conveys trust. And without trust, influence cannot occur. Is it okay in that pause to look away, collect your thoughts, and then look back into someone's eyes to start speaking? Definitely. Definitely. If you're in a face-to-face conversation in particular, and that person, maybe whether it's you or you can tell your listener they don't like that direct eye connection, there's two things I'll do. I won't stand or sit close. I definitely respect that space. I will look away perhaps more often with this individual. The challenge, the difference is I'm not talking when I look away. Because if I'm constantly talking when I look away, I will lose my focus. 
if we lose our focus, we're more tempted to do more ahs, ums, you know, and we're more tempted to ramble. Not only that, if you and I were in a face-to-face conversation, anytime I look away and I'm talking to your shoes, I'm talking to the top of your head or behind your shoulder, I give you permission to disconnect with me. Hmm. And you kind of see, you kind of feel the levels to what starts to happen. So not only am I disconnecting, losing my train of thought, you hear me starting to use more non-words or ramble, so I'll frustrate you. If I frustrate you, you're more likely to not listen. Much less, if I don't look you dead in the eye, you've got more opportunities to check your emails, to drift. Or even if I, if I'm looking at someone dead in the eyes and I just forget, and it's going to happen, you're human, you forget what to say, it's okay to look away. Just don't talk to the floor when you do it. Mm-hmm. See, we, our listeners, they only know what we tell them and what we show them. And if you and I are in a conversation face-to-face, and every time I look away, I um, do that, I communicate to you that I don't have the knowledge I should around my content. If I don't have the knowledge that I should around my content, are you going to be influenced by me? No. No. It, it reminds me of a story you tell in the book about the gentleman who came to one of your workshops and was suffering from jet lag and thought, well, at least I'll, this will be a good chance to have a two-day nap. Ah. <laughs> I've got another story off of that. I'll let the reader or the listeners today read that from the book. Right before the holidays last year, I spoke at a conference. There's several hundred people in front of me. Because even if I'm in a large group, I'm still using eye connection. I, I may not see the... 50th or the 150th person seeing way back in the corner. But what I'll do is I'll look at an area for a full sentence or thought. And anyone that sits in the area that I'm looking at will feel like I'm looking at them. It's called a ripple effect. I'm at the session. I finished my presentation. One of the participants comes up to me at the end. And I, I, didn't, I never saw him in the group. So apparently he was sitting way in the back. He says to me, I have a bone to pick with you. And I thought, oh, great one of those. (laughs) And he went on to say, I came to your session thinking I could catch up on email. I said to him, I go, what happened? He said, you have such direct connection with me that I thought you would see every time I went on my email. Hmm. Just the, the power, the power of no matter how large or small your audience has to, happens to be that day. No excuses. You can always connect and engage, and as a result, the level of trust. My meeting planners, when I speak at conferences, they'll come up to me either at a break or they'll come up to me after my session and will say, we're not sure how you do it. We're not sure what you're doing, but we can feel how you're slowly corralling everyone together. And that's the power of these skills. People are not going to come up to you and say, oh, I love your pauses. I love your direct eye connection. <laughs> They're not going to give you that feedback. What will happen is, I, I trust you, or you really come across confident in your, in your topic. I really felt connected to you in the message. That's when you know you are starting to polish these skills to the level that they become your new habits, and you're starting to have more impact and influence than you may have ever realized you had the capability of. That's pretty impressive that you can lead the energy in the room that so well that you're engaging a person who really intended to just be catching up on email. Yeah. 
We, we hear that a lot. We were just at a group last week. It was all C-suite, executive level. And the CEO came up to me midday and said, this is the first time I have ever seen my executive team off of their phones. Hmm. And he goes, what are you doing? What is it? And when I started to explain to him what it was, he said it makes sense because we're less tempted because you're not giving us an opportunity to disconnect with you. And if they're not disconnecting with you, think about the amount of information they're taking with them from your messaging to determine the level of influence they're going to allow you to have on them. The final concept we have time for today is an open posture. What do you mean by that? When you're standing, you want to have your feet pointing forward, your legs hip-width apart, and your arms are comfortably relaxed at your sides. Now, anyone trying that right now, so the subconscious is going to say to you, this is wrong. Right, exactly. Because if that's not how you're used to standing, or even if you're sitting, you're sitting with your legs flat on the, feet flat on the floor, and your hands are open, your body is open. Now, why this works? It conveys confidence without you saying a word. I refer to it as a home base. You don't stand or sit like that through an entire conversation. It's just where you start and always come back to when you're not moving or you're not gesturing. Because now you can use gestures that have impact, that have purpose, that are not fidgeting or that are repetitive. If you've got your hands clasped, you're hanging onto your hands in front of your body. Suddenly, all your gestures will look the same because your elbows get Velcro to your body and every gesture that you do stays in the midsection of your body. Well, you can see how it would start to look like you're talking with your hands and then there's no purpose behind your gesture. Think, think of it as, if anyone's familiar with golf or maybe even tennis, that when you line up at the tee playing golf, if your lineup, if your grip on that golf club is off and your, your swing is off, that's what causes your golf to go in the sand pit mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you miss the golf club. The same concept applies to the open stance. If the open stance is not there, all the other skill sets will not work for you. When I was in theater in high school, our director used to get on the case of all of us who in a, in a given scene were extras because we tended to stand in what she called either jock position number one, which was with our hands clasped in front of us, or jock position number two, which was our hands behind our backs. And she would say, I just want you to stand still with your hands at your side. And we would say, well, that just doesn't feel natural. And she'd point to the others and say, look, they're standing like that right now. Does that look okay to you? Well, yeah, that looks fine. Well, that's all I'm asking you to do. And that's why it comes right back to this, all this information I'm sharing during this interview, none of it's going to be worthwhile if you don't video and audio tape yourself. Because anytime you try a new behavior, like bringing your arms at your sides, it's going to feel uncomfortable. If that's not how you're used to standing or sitting with your arms open, you'll feel uncomfortable. And if we feel uncomfortable, our subconscious says to us, this is wrong. And we go back to where we're comfortable. The main point of this whole interview is I'm a big believer that the only way individuals can continuously improve their level of impact and influence through their communication is they have to be uncomfortable first to be effective. 
And without being able to see and hear through the ears and eyes of your listener, you will continuously be in denial and you'll go off your feeling. And you'll never reach that level of impact and influence that you really have the capacity to reach. It goes back to your story earlier during this interview about your son when he finally got a chance to see what you were saying via the videotaping that he did. It can be painful to watch ourselves on video, and of course it takes some extra time and effort, but it is well worth it to make that happen every now and then so you can see how you're coming across to other people. You bet. I think the most challenging things in life will always have the greatest investment in our development. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. I'd rather, as much as I do not enjoy watching myself on a video playback, I would rather know what my listeners are hearing and seeing versus pushing it under the rug and making the assumption, if I feel good, I must be good. Absolutely. We've been talking about ways to improve our face-to-face communication to better influence people to take action. We've talked about pausing, listening, eye connection, and open posture. Our guest has been author and communication expert Stacy Hunky. Stacy, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Greatly appreciate it, and I wish everyone the best, both personally and professionally. Stacy is the president of Stacy Hunky Inc., a firm she founded in 2004 that provides training and coaching to executives and sales professionals on how to communicate with impact and influence. Her book is Yes, You Can, Everything You Need from A to Z to Influence Others to Take Action. You can find out more at stacyhunky.com. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-H-A-N-K-E dot com. And we'll provide a link to her book, her firm's website, and her Twitter and other social media information in our show notes for this episode, which you can find at engagingleader.com forward slash 36. While you're on our website, be sure to check out my ebook, Eight Communication Tools for Leaders. Become a better leader in every area of life. You can get it for free at engagingleader.com forward slash book. Don't miss our next episode. We've invited the leadership communication guru, Terry Pierce, to join us again. He is the author of the book, Leading Out Loud, and we'll be discussing how to inspire people to take action toward a shared goal. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people with a lesson. <laughs>